The book of Luke in chapter number 12. And we'd like to begin reading with verse 1. Verse 1, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, First of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. That's an awesome statement, isn't it? Nothing covered that shall not be revealed. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear and closet shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. After that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? Not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for another privilege to preach. Thank you for these that have come. Help me, Lord, to be a blessing, to be a help. You know every heart, you know every need. Pray you meet those needs tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to continue talking about uh, the care of Jesus. Uh, we talked about, uh, asked the question this morning, does Jesus care? And uh, he does care. I believe that, and this is seen throughout the Word of God. The Bible teaches that and the fact that he numbers the hairs of our head in verse number 7. Uh, he bottles my tears in Psalm 56 and verse 8. Uh, he records my thoughts in Malachi 3 verse 16. He orders my steps in Psalm 37, 23. He counts my steps in Job 31 and verse number 4. So this tells me that the God I serve is interested in the details of my life. You know, sometimes we think we're bothering God uh, with the minor things, but God wants to be involved in the very detail of our life. And uh, you don't bother the Lord. I, uh, you know, I've, I've heard preachers say, when you go to God, you should not always be asking for something. Then I began to read the Bible and I found the Lord said something entirely different, that he encourages us to ask and is not offended by our asking. Uh, unless we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lust, unless we ask in the wrong way. Well, we like to look at different aspects of this. We see, first of all, is providential care. And here in verse uh, 6 and 7, he talks about the sparrows. Are not five sparrows sold for two fathers, and not one of them is forgotten before God. Now, Matthew 10, 29, he says two sparrows would, would sell for a farthing or one-fourth of a cent. And if you bought four for two farthings, then uh, they would throw in an extra sparrow. This shows uh, the value of sparrows is not very valuable uh, in the whole scheme of things. I know I visit with the Riggermans and they have a couple of birdhouses and 
they talk to me about, uh, uh, they, of course they are like I am, they, they want like the bluebirds, and the bluebirds looked my house over this year and, and decided, I guess, it didn't meet their specifications, so they moved on. But uh, anyway, they told me about the sparrows. They had to keep the sparrows run off, try to get the bluebirds in there. So bluebirds, most people like them better because of the color. Actually, the male is the handsome one. The male bluebird is very pretty, and the female's not so hot, but uh, in, in human beings, I guess it's the other way around. But anyway, sparrows are not very, are not very important and not very valuable. Uh, yet uh, the Lord says here that not one of them is forgotten before God. Think of that. Though they may not be as important in, in our life, they're important to God. And my wife says, uh, this, you know, they need a place to, to live too. You know, I said, they got plenty of trees to build in. I let them build there. But, but, he, but God is telling us that he's interested in every detail of our life. Uh, and he shows that because the sparrows were not valuable in that day, not too valuable today, uh, but they're valuable to God and they serve a purpose. They say if it wasn't for the birds, we'd be eaten alive by insects. And sometime I think we're eaten alive anyway. I, I was uh, up here, uh, Mr. Hickox uh, changing a bell on the lawnmower and I thought the mosquitoes were gonna carry me off. I'm telling you, it is rough. And so I thank God for the birds. I'm glad for the insects that they uh, get rid of. And, and so here he, he goes on and he says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Well, uh, the Lord don't have as much trouble as he used to counting mine, but, uh, uh, but anyway, they're all numbered. God knows if I ask anybody tonight how many hairs are on your head, there's, I, there's not one person can tell me because you don't know, but God knows. If you ask God, he can tell you. He knows when one falls out. He knows when the sparrow falls to the ground. He knows when a hair falls out of your head. He knows all about us. And he, notice he says, Fear not, therefore you're of more value than many sparrows. God, man is more valuable than any, anything else in this world. I was listening to a program this morning, I think as I was getting ready for church, and they were, or maybe it was this evening, I can't remember now, you know, show you how, how long my memory is. But anyway, sometime today, and they were talking about this partial birth abortion. And this lady who had been a nurse was describing, uh, you know, that, that procedure. And I'll tell you, it was sickening. Uh, how that a nation uh, that was founded upon the, uh, the principles of righteousness could engage in that kind of conduct or could allow that is beyond me. But man is, is the most important of God's creation. Everything that God created before he created man, he did it for man's well-being and man's benefit. And we live in a society, and I, I think we ought to try to protect the environment and make it a place we can live without uh, so many health problems. But, uh, but uh, there's people that are worshiping the creature more than the creator, as Romans chapter 1 tells us. And, and they're in love with, with the environment rather than in love with the Lord and loving souls. And so uh, God says you're of more value 
than many sparrows. The trees and, and, and uh, all these things were created for man's benefit. That's why God put them here uh, to help us and to, to help us and we ought to uh, respect what God's put here and, and you know, try to make the best use of it, certainly, but not worship it. We have the providential care of God. In Mark 8, 36, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? God says one man is more important than the whole world. And so the Lord is interested in mankind. Then I'd like for us to turn to Luke chapter 8. And uh, we read from Mark this morning this same story about Jesus calming the storm. In this page 1084, verse 22. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into his ship with his disciples. He said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. Now Jesus said, Let's go to the other side. And when Jesus says, Let's go to the other side, there's nothing can keep you from going to the other side. And notice Jesus went to sleep. They say, oh, how, here, how could he be God? And he got sleepy and fell asleep. They say he was just a man because he went to sleep. But he proved he was God when he woke up and calmed the storm, didn't he? He goes on and says, uh, well, uh, they were filled with water. Now let me ask you tonight, what happens to a boat when it gets full of water? goes down, right? You've never seen a boat didn't sink when it's full of water. But I'll tell you, Jesus on the boat, it won't sink. And he was on the boat. They were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. And Mark says, they asked the question, carest thou not that we perish? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a, great, there was a calm. He said unto them, where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this that he, for he commandeth even the winds and water? And they obey him. What a, what a man. Well, he was a God man. I can't do that. Can you do that? Can you walk on the water? Can you calm the storm? <laughs> oh, but he can. He was more than man. He was God in the flesh. He was the God-man. He wasn't half God and half man. He was all man and all God. You say, that's impossible. Well, it's what the Bible teaches. We see his protecting care. And I'm glad the Lord uh, protects us uh, from the, uh, the storms of life. God's promised to be there. And in the darkest night and uh, the, the occasion where he walked on the water was a different occasion. Uh, he, uh, uh, they were out there and Jesus wasn't with them. And they rode and rode and tried to get to land, but they couldn't. And, and uh, when it looked hopeless, Jesus came walking on the water. And they thought they had seen a spirit. And uh, what would you think? I think it was a ghost, wasn't you? I mean, it's not normal to see people walking on the water. I've never seen that. And uh, they thought they had seen a spirit. And they, uh, the Lord says, be not afraid, it's, it's I. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto thee on the water. 
Now, Peter had more guts than I've got. Uh, he says, come on, come. Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on the water. When he saw the storm, of course, he became afraid and started to sink. He didn't sink, he just began to sink. He had enough sense to say, Lord, save me. And the Lord rescued him. And what a great miracle that was. And there was even, uh, there was another miracle in that story. When, they, when Jesus got in the ship, lo and behold, they were at land. And they were in the midst of the sea when he was walking on the water. And when Jesus got in the boat, they were at their destination. An amazing, amazing miracle of God there. Well, you can read about that in Matthew. I believe it is. And uh, here... Uh, we have this wonderful story of Jesus calming the storm. And in Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, yes, I believe in angels. I don't believe we're to worship angels. Uh, and I don't believe Jesus was an angel, as some cults believe. Uh, but I believe in angels. I believe in protecting angels of God. I believe they're ministers to the hours of salvation. We can't see them. They're here tonight. They're listening in. No doubt the devil's angels are listening in too. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about Sandy and, and uh, I was, God helped me, uh, give me the scripture in Job there where Job had all this tragedy in his life. You know, it seemed like trouble comes in bunches, don't it? It seemed like when one thing goes wrong, everything goes wrong. And Job, everything went wrong in his life. He was a wealthy man and had a good, wonderful family and had good health. And lo and behold, the first thing you know, uh, he's, he's, his wealth is gone. All of his kids are dead. And, and his health is gone. And there in, in Job chapter 1, uh, it says, In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He didn't charge God foolishly, you know why? Because it's the devil's fault. It wasn't God's fault. Who was bringing all this trouble? The Lord, uh, Lord permitted the devil, I know that. But who was behind all that trouble? It was Satan himself. And, and sometimes we blame God. We blame God with things that, that the devil is the author of. Not God. We blame, we blame, we charge God. We ought to charge old, old Lucifer. Charge the devil. If there had been no sin, there had been no sickness with thee. If it wasn't for sin in the world, not necessarily individual sin, I'm subject to sickness. You know, I don't have to, have to commit some terrible sin to get sick. Uh, but it's all because of the inherited nature of sin in the Garden of Eden. And we've all sinned. But uh, he didn't charge God foolishly. And, uh, you know... Uh, sometimes you have to guard against trying to blame God and get angry with God. Uh, of course, sometimes you don't understand. And someone that has the power, you wonder why they don't use it. Uh, you say, why? I don't know. If I knew that answer, I'd, I'd know something that uh, no one else knows as far as I know. If I knew all the whys and the wherefores and why God does not intervene when he can do it, when he has the power, why don't he do it? I don't, I don't have the answer to that question. If God ever gives it to me, I'll let you know. But we don't understand, do we? We don't understand. 
And uh, Karen, I was talking to Karen on Wednesday night, and she was telling me about, uh, about two people, I think they were about the same age, uh, uh, had the same cancer, got the same treatment. One lived over a year longer than the other. How do you explain that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand all the ways of God, and I don't understand God's, uh, God's uh, 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 eternal plan uh, for my life. But I do believe this. Whatever God does is going to be right. Because he can't do wrong. <laughs> I know that. Now the devil, uh, devil uh, I might say that he can't do right. <laughs> whatever he does is probably going to be wrong. But whatever God does is going to be right. I believe that. Well, we have the protecting care of God. And listen, we're going to be here to God's ready to call us home. I believe that. And I get on the highway, I told someone, I can believe, the Bible says we're all sinners. And when I get on the highway, I believe it. The road is full of sinners. <laughs> get out of my way, I'll run over you. We're rebels. You do the speed limit and everybody on the road will pass you. Isn't that right? It doesn't matter. I went to Winston another day. Part of the time, speed limit is 55. Part of the time is 65. Part of the time is 70. And it doesn't matter. If you're doing 70, wow, by, by they go. It's not fast enough. Oh, I can't drive 55. God drives 65. If it's 65, it's 75. If it's 70, it's 80. It reveals the rebel in us. You say, oh, I'm saved. You still got old Adam in there, though, to contend with, don't we? We still got the old Adam nature. He gives us a hard time. And we have to guard against him. Well, his, uh, uh, his protecting care. Thank God he protects us. I got to go on. Uh, in, in Luke 15, we have the Lord's pity and care. In Luke uh, chapter 15, we have uh, three stories in this chapter. And of course, they criticized the Lord for eating with sinners. Well, that's who he came to help, wasn't it? Sinners. And, uh, uh, you know, B.R. Lincoln said, if you don't want anybody to criticize you, then don't do nothing. He said, just remember, if they're kicking you, you out front. <laughs> well... He talks about the scribes and the Pharisees here, and he gives this parable about the hundred sheep. One of them gets, wanders off. The Lord uh, leaves the ninety-nine in the in the fold there and goes after that which is lost. He's interested in every one of us. You say, well, he had ninety-nine, and he just lost one, but he was interested in that one. We have God's pity and God's wonderful care. Then we have illustrated uh, the parable of the lost coin. Ten pieces of silver. Loses one piece. Sweeps diligently till she find it. You ladies, if you had a, a bracelet or a necklace, had ten diamonds in it, you lose one of them, what would you do? Say, oh, I've got nine. Don't worry about that. One gone. Got nine. No, you'd say, I want that one. Don't look right without it. Sweep the house till you find it. 
And then he used this wonderful story, the prodigal son, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And here's a rebel. Wants his father's inheritance, goes and devours his living with harlots and until all the money runs out. Then he ends up in the hog pen. His friends are gone. His money's gone. That's the way it always is, isn't it? As long as you got the money, as long as you're paying the bill, you can have, you can buy those kind of friends, but they're not, they won't last long. And so he runs out of money, comes to himself. He said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare? I perish with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father. And I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And the Bible said he arose, came to his father. Father didn't run out there and say, you rebel, what are you doing back home? Money run out, didn't it? Told you what had happened, you good-for-nothing scoundrel. Don't you come back to daddy begging. Get away from here. Is that the way you reacted? No, the Bible says when the father saw him afar off, he run. He, he, he had, he, his father uh, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son begins to confess and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. He said, bring the best robe and put on him. Put a ring on his hands and shoes on his feet. And kill the fatted calf and let's eat and be married. This my son was lost and he's found. You want to find what God's like? There it is. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful God we have. When we mess up, if we'll honestly admit it and quit trying to make excuses for it and justify it and, and do everything in the world to excuse it, we come clean with God and say, Lord, I've made a mess in my life. God doesn't say you get away from here. I'm, I fooled with you before. I'm not fooling with you anymore. God doesn't do that. He says, welcome home, son. I welcome you back. You'll never find anybody like the Lord. You'll never find anybody with such pity and such care as our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful Savior. He'll forgive you. I don't care what you've done. If you'll admit it and own up to it and confess it to God, He'll cleanse you and forgive you. You don't have to confess it to man. Unless you publicly sin against somebody, you ought to make it right with them then. But otherwise, we talk to God about it. Well, he's the one that forgives us, not people. And so we have his pitying care. And then finally, we have his providing care. And we'll go back to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, we have the providing care of Jesus. And verse uh, 22, uh, this follows the... Uh, warning there against the parable of the rich fool who made provision for this life and none for the next. And verse 22, he said, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for your body, what you shall put on. Life is more than meat, the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, neither which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? God said, I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. Which of you would take in thought can add to his stature one cubic? Can you say, I want to be tall? 
I want to be a, I want to be a famous basketball player. I want to be seven feet tall. That's already determined when you were conceived. And you can't say, you can't decide, I'm going to be taller just because you want to. The, Lord, the Lord's already determined that. And then he says, if you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take your thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that the Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field, tomorrow is cast in the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Over and over, God rebukes us for our lack of faith. God honors faith and faith honors God. But our, our faith many times is affected by the circumstances. But God's not limited by circumstances. Just like we read this morning in, in, in John 11 there where Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou will ask of God, he'll give it to you. He said, Lord, if you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. You'd have, you'd have healed him. But I know even now, even, even though he's dead, whatever you ask of God, he'll do it. What faith? That's what, what we need, isn't it? Faith is believing in the promise of God. Saying, Lord, you promised it. You'll do it. I don't care what the circumstances may be. You made a promise. You don't break your word. And if God tells you something, he'll always do what he tells you to do. Sometimes we, we're presumptuous and we, we make God, we put words in God's mouth that God didn't say. But if God said something, he'll do it. If he said something in this book, he'll do what he said. I believe that. Well, he goes on and uh, talk, of course he talks about the flowers and how, how, how God cares for them. And uh, you know there today, I know, uh, I think it's hibiscus that Sandy got a, well got her a, uh, oh let me think, uh, clematis, is that how you pronounce it, vine? And, it bloomed a little bit and then died. Tuck it back. Got a, got a hibiscus bush. Set it out. And that thing's bloom, bloom, bloom. But it only, you know, it comes out and has the most beautiful, big old bloom, big old nice, beautiful bloom. And then, then the next day it's gone. One day. And then it, you know, maybe another will come out. Just keeps producing pods, keeps producing blooms. Well, they're beautiful, but they don't last long. God says, I take care of the flowers. I take care of you. It's providing care. He goes on, and verse 29, Seek not you what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be of a doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Your Father knoweth that you have need of these things, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have. Give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old. A treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, we're having pretty good times. At least some people are. Some people said the difference between a recession and a depression. A recession is when your neighbor's out of work. 
A depression is when you're out of work. But anyway, the, the economy has been good, they say anyway. And, uh, but listen, mark it down. It won't always be that way. And hard times will come and bad times are sure to show up. But God says he takes care of his own. If you're his child, he takes care of his own. He said, if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. God would not tell us that and then not do it himself. And God's always taking care of every need that I've ever had and beyond. I have no complaints. God's been good to me. And I thank him. Let's bow our heads, please.